Well, hey, just thought we'd get some mileage out of that. Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. A couple quick announcements. Uh, reminder, as we heard earlier in the service, ladies, this Wednesday night, 6.30, it takes a village. Uh, the men met this past Wednesday night. Uh, it was a really good time together. We had over 60 men here uh, eating hamburgers and throwing washers and horseshoes and other objects out here on the lawn. This is what we do. We like to throw objects around. We did that. We came in here for a, a fantastic time of teaching and got to hear some testimonies about how God works powerfully through biblical community. We had a great night. We're expecting the same for you. So ladies, I want to let you know we also have child care uh, this Wednesday night. So no barriers, no excuses, no reasons to not be here. Come be a part of what God is doing in the lives of our women here at the church this Wednesday night, 630 in this room, okay? So just a quick reminder on that. Um, also, a couple other reminders. Um, your worship notes are out in front of you. If you're a person who likes to take notes, um, our community groups is off and running. And so every other Sunday, basically, these, these coordinate with your community group discussions. So as God speaks to you and challenges you in here and you write down those things, um, I'm encouraged you to take those with you to community group and continue those discussions and kind of hear how God's working in each other's life and encourage one another. Um, but want to let you know that that's rolling out this Sunday so the sermon notes are back this week if that's you, if you're a note taker. Um, also, Awana. Not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday is off and rolling. So if you've got Awana age kids, um, be sure and get them registered online so we can get all the classes set up, curriculum ready to go. Um, we're excited and ready for a fantastic semester in Awana, so be sure and register your kids online for that. And if you have any questions, um, just email Darren, Darren at srchurch.tv to get your questions answered. Um, so one last quick announcement, but it relates to today. Um, so going forward, um, we're going to be giving you the opportunity to share with us um, about how God speaks to you and challenges you through the different sermon series that we go through. And so today is going to be one of those days. And so later on in the service, you've got plenty of time to think. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to be asking for a few of you to share about how God has challenged you or something he's taught you through the book of Acts. Okay? So if you're visiting with us today, pressure's off. Nobody's going to hand you a microphone. Uh, we've been in the book of Acts for the last year. We're wrapping it up today. And, and, and many of you have come to me or to another staff member and shared how God challenged you or showed you something. And so what we want to do is we want to give you a platform to encourage one another. And so we're going to begin doing this at the end of sermon series, chance to share testimony and to hear about how God has challenged you and spoke to you throughout um, a particular sermon series. So just fair warning, we'll come back to that later on in the sermon. Just one or two people to share, no pressure. Um, just be thinking about if God puts something on your heart, um, go ahead and, and prepare to do that for, for later on. All right. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 29 and uh, we'll get started. There's not an Acts 29. All right, so before you throw your Bible away and think that you uh, got ripped off, there is not an Acts 29 in your Bible. It ends with Acts 28. But, I, but I'm doing that on purpose today. Today we are looking at Acts 29, uh, the identity and mission of the Unstoppable Church. And the reason I'm doing that is because we left off last week with some things kind of hanging in the air, right? What happened to Paul? We left off. Paul was in prison under house arrest. We heard that he stayed there for two years in Rome. What took place with Paul? What happened to the church? And what happened to this mission that Jesus gave his disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Because at the end of 28, they just made it as far as Rome. So today we're going to be looking at 
this idea of Acts 29 and what that means for us and who we are in God's story as he writes this amazing story of the church. Now, what I want to do to kind of get our minds and hearts all together, I'm going to do a quick recap of the book of Acts, if you will, okay? So Acts 1 began with Jesus as the main character. He has called his disciples. Now remember, he's down to 11 because Judas bailed and sold him out and then hung himself, so he's got 11 disciples. Jesus meets with these 11 disciples out on the Mount of Olives, and he gives him this final commission before he ascends back to the Father. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read these words from Jesus. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, this commission will set a trajectory for the whole book of Acts. Okay? We're going to see this unfold through God's Spirit being poured out on his followers, and the church begins to launch. Now, what happens is this. The 11 come back from the Mount of Olives, back to Jerusalem. They gather around them 120 men and women who have, have, have pledged their lives to Jesus, who are Christ's followers, and they meet there in the upper room, and they pray, and they wait. They pray and they wait for the Holy Spirit of God. And that's Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2 begins with God kind of shaking things up by pouring out his spirit like he promised on these followers. And it's this powerful movement of God. The building literally shakes as, as the Holy Spirit is poured out on these 120 men and women. And they begin to speak in foreign tongues. In Acts chapter 2, people outside the building are taking notice. They hear this gospel being preached in their own language. They all gather around to hear what's going on. And Peter steps up and he preaches. And at the end of Peter's sermon, 3,000 people who are there listening and witnessing this amazing movement of God become Christians. And this is the launch of the church. In, in Acts chapter 2, we read this beautiful description of what it means to be the church. Listen to these words. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So it went from 120 to 3,000 in just one church service. They were added about 3,000 souls, and they, this church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple courts together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And listen to this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And that's the story of the church. 
So 3,000 people become Christians this day, and day by day, as the church devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, they did this, and as they, they, they considered all their possessions belonged to everybody else in the church, and they gave to any as had need, and they committed to keep meeting together, then God continued to add to that 3,000 day by day those who are being saved. Now, this is taking place around 30 to 32 or 33 A.D., right after the resurrection of Jesus. He commissions his followers, ascends to the Father, the Holy Spirit is poured out, the church launches. It's chapter 2. Chapter 3, 4, and 5 is is the story of the church beginning to explode and and bloom there in Jerusalem. begins to grow. It's primarily under the leadership of Peter. He's kind of the lead person there leading the church. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the church has grown to be so big that the apostles can't handle all the ministry responsibilities. And so in Acts chapter 6, they get together and say, guys, we've got to recruit some help. And so they select seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit to come along and serve beside them and essentially wait tables. And from among these seven men, we read that there were two men in particular, Stephen and Philip. Well, before, the, before chapter 6 even ends, Stephen has been arrested. And Stephen's been arrested, and he's been, his life has been threatened, that he should recant his allegiance to Jesus and walk away, although put him to death. And so Stephen responds by doing what? Well, while I have an audience, why don't I just tell you about Jesus? And he preaches this amazing sermon. Rolls over into chapter 7. Chapter 7 ends with a response from the people as they put Stephen to death by throwing rocks at him. And he's stoned to death. Chapter 8 begins, introducing us to Saul, who was this person who was there giving his approval to Stephen's death. He's leading the charge of terrorism against the church. And and from Jerusalem, now Philip heads out and takes the gospel to Samaria. So now we see what Jesus promised would happen. It's beginning to happen. The Holy Spirit has come upon them. They've been his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, now Samaria, as Philip takes the gospel to Samaria. Well, chapter 8 gives way to chapter 9. Chapter 9 is a story of Saul, this leading terrorist, is on his way to Damascus with written permission to drag Christians out of their homes, out into the street, to beat them and put them to death if they won't renounce their allegiance to Jesus. But along the way, he encounters Jesus, and Jesus radically saves Saul and radically transforms his life, and he goes from being the leading terrorist to this emerging leading apostle now in the church before the chapter even ends. It's chapter 9. Chapter 10 and 11 and 12 are really interesting. This is somewhat of a personal struggle for Peter. Uh, Peter discovers through an orchestration of events that he has this prejudice against those who aren't Jews, and God unveils that prejudice within him and also within the church and shows Peter that this gospel is for all ethnicities, colors of skin, languages, all tribes, all tongues. This is a global gospel. It's not just for Peter and the Jews in Jerusalem, right? And this shouldn't have caught Peter off guard because the Old Testament told us this, the New Testament told us this. Jesus said what? Go make disciples of the nations, the ethnicities. Jesus told his disciples, take the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But Peter had this personal struggle of prejudice, and God breaks that in him. And then chapter 13 and 14, the apostle Paul heads out on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. 
And as they share the gospel outside of, of Jerusalem and outside of the Jewish nation, they encounter time and time again these Gentiles are flocking to the presence of God. They're responding to this gospel message of salvation, and this Holy Spirit that was poured out is being poured out on them too. And so Paul has this same observation that Peter has. Wait a second. If God's spirit, right, is not prejudiced against the Gentiles and God pours his spirit out on those who aren't Jews, then, right, then the church should be opening their doors to everybody, right? And so chapter 15, we get to the story where the first council of the church comes together and their primary topic of discussion is this prejudice against those who aren't Jews, and so in chapter 15, that is tore down through Peter's testimony, through Paul's leadership. And they say, listen, guys, this gospel is for the nations. And they come to this, finally, this realization that, that even though in the Old Testament, the, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people, they were chosen to be the people through which God would bless all other nations, all other colors of skin, all other cultures, all other backgrounds. And this culminates in chapter 15. Well, chapter 16 through 20 is the story of Paul's second and third missionary journey as he heads back out to take the gospel further out and further out uh, towards the ends of the earth. But then the Holy Spirit tells Paul, listen, Paul, we've got to go back to Jerusalem and then to Rome. I've got some specific work I want to do through your life there. It's going to end in some affliction and some imprisonment. And so in chapter 21, the Holy Spirit guides Paul back to Jerusalem. And so chapter 21, 22, and 23 are the story of what happens to Paul there in Jerusalem. This is where he gets arrested. He gets mobbed. They beat him. He's arrested by the Jews there, handed over to the Roman authorities there, and they want him put to death. Well, the Roman governor there has Paul transferred to Caesarea. This is chapters 23, 24, and 25. Uh, in, in your Bible, 26, he's transferred to Caesarea. And there, not only does he have to appear again before a governor, this is where he gets to appear before a king. This is where Paul shares his testimony with King Agrippa. And it's such a beautiful part of the story because when Paul gets done, King Agrippa is catching on to what Paul's doing. Here. He said, Paul, wait a second. Are you trying to convince me to become a Christian? I thought this was just about what you and you believe. Are you trying to convince me? And to which Paul responds, yeah. Not only you, but everybody here. By the way, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're wondering, are they trying to convert me? Yes. Not trying to sneak this up on you. Like, we, we want for you what God wants for you, and that is to come to know him and to experience this, this radical, life-changing grace that he wants to give you. So, yes, no, no tricks here in this room, okay? And then from there, so after uh, Paul spent some time in Caesarea, he's finally transferred to go up here before Caesar. This is chapter 27 in Acts, and this is where he's shipwrecked there on Malta on this journey from Jerusalem to Rome. And then in chapter 28, we saw last week he finally made it to Rome. And if we pick up the story right there in 28, the last two verses, here's what we read. Paul lived there two whole years, this is in Rome, at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. And this is how Acts ends. What happened to Paul? What happened to the church? What happened to the ends of the earth? And Luke simply just says, Paul spent two years there, continuing to preach the gospel with boldness. Any who would listen to him. Now, what I want to do is kind of walk through what we know from church history about what happened to Paul. So this is around 60 A.D. 
30 years since the resurrection of Jesus, the church has blown, right? This is an international church now. God's kingdom has expanded beyond Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to Rome. Tens among tens of thousands of people have become Christians now, and the church has just exploded in 30 years' time. Okay? Now, Paul finds himself there in Rome. He finally gets to appear before Caesar, and Caesar acquits him. Doesn't find any reason to put him to death, and so lets Paul go free. Paul actually spends about another two years there on a missionary journey, kind of exploring the surrounding region, continuing to share the gospel. Some believe and become part of the church. Some don't believe and become part of the angry mob. And essentially, in AD 64 in July, a major event takes place that, that, that truly impacts the church. If you know history, this is under the reign of Nero. He was one of uh, Rome's most vicious emperors, most self-centered, narcissistic emperors. And in 64 AD, he did something crazy. He burned down most of the city. Okay? Now, rumor has it that while the city was in flames burning down, he was like playing violin out on his porch. Just very sadistic, very, yeah, just very evil and, and twisted, right? Well, then now he has a dilemma as the emperor, right? Because the people are angry because he essentially used their homes as his bonfire. And so then what does he do? He blames it on the Christians. He turns and says, oh, the Christians are the ones who burned down our city, invoking one of the most horrific events of persecution against the church. This is where the Colosseum comes into play, where they round up all the Christians, they turn them into slaves, they turn them into um, these, these figures of entertainment in the Colosseum, putting them to death allowing wild animals and Roman soldiers to put them to death right there in the Colosseum as part of their games. Well, in 65 AD, um, as the church is being rounded up, Paul and Peter are arrested as well. And so Paul is now arrested in Rome for a second time, and he knows this is the end. It's from this time in imprisonment that Paul writes 2 Timothy. I encourage you to go read 2 Timothy with that in mind and just hear the angst in Paul's words as he shares his final charge to a young pastor knowing that he has finished the good fight, he has endured, he has finished the race, and it's time for him to go on and be with the Lord as he hands that baton to Timothy and the other church leaders there. And before the year is up, Peter is put to death by Nero. He's crucified. Church history would tell us that Peter, because of his affection and love for Jesus, didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner, so he was crucified upside down by his own decision. Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, couldn't be crucified, so they actually had his head cut off by a Roman sword, and that all happened in 65 AD. And you'd think, what, this would be the end, right? This is the end of the story, but it's not. So today we're going to be looking at the rest of the story. The story continues. We're going to apply what we've learned in the book of Acts to our own lives and to our own church. And so as we walked chapter by chapter through the book of Acts over the last year, story by story, character by character, what we put together is this, that the apostles are not the main characters in the book of Acts, right? God is. And so the story of Acts is not just the story of the apostles, it's the story of the Holy Spirit of God, right, working through the apostles to launch the church, and as we read the book of Acts, God kind of stitched together all these stories to tell one bigger story. So we all sit here today. Each person in this room has a small story, a small part of God's bigger story. We're going to allow Peter to wrap up the book of Acts for us. We haven't heard from him in a while, right? It was chapter 15-ish. We began to kind of lose sight of Peter. 
So we're going we're gonna to look at something Peter wrote towards the end of his life. In the midst of all this persecution that's heated up around them, Peter writes these letters to the church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at two verses together, this beautiful description of what I would call Acts 29, the rest of the story. And so we'll begin in verse 9 together. Peter says to the church, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then he says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now today as we talk about the rest of the story and the story going on, we're going to talk a whole lot less about what you and I are supposed to be doing as the Acts 29 church and more about who we are. And so Peter begins here by walking through some really interesting descriptions of God's people, doesn't he? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. Now let's walk through that together. Early in the service, as Jason Martin was leading us in worship, he was talking about this right, this need to, to, to share our faith with those around us. And I'm going to ask a question um, up front. I wonder if there's anybody here today who, like me, would like to be more bold in sharing your faith. Would anybody be willing to admit that by raising your hand with me? Thank you. Yeah. More courageous, more bold, more intentional by looking for opportunities to talk about Christ and what he's done for you and with you and in you, right? We, most of us would like to be more courageous and more bold. We'd, we'd like for our lives to be described like Paul's life where we read about he taught about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The problem is we allow so many things to hinder us, to become barriers for us between sharing what we believe with others. What we see from Peter is not that the church is not active in proclaiming the excellencies of God, right? That's what he says. But the proclaiming of the excellencies of God actually begins somewhere else, right? It doesn't begin with you and I putting together a to-do list. I'm just going to share the gospel with one person this week. I'm going to pray for three people this week. I'm going to look for opportunity to share my testimony, right? It's not about a to-do list. There's something else going on here in what Peter says to the church. Let's, let's revisit this together. So rather than starting with a to-do list, he starts with who we are. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. Now here's what I'm going to lay before you today. The problem is not that there aren't enough opportunities in our lives to share the gospel. That's not the problem. And the problem is not that you and I don't want to. You all, almost all raised your hand and said, I want to, right? That's not the problem. So the problem has to be something else. What I would propose to you is this. The problem is that you and I do not fully believe yet who we are. 
a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. Let's walk through that together. We read about a chosen race. The first thing that comes to mind, we think about bigotry, right? We think about racism. We think about we think about this idea of the church is closed and you got to look like us, you got to be like us. That's not at all what Peter's saying. Matter of fact, it's actually the opposite of that. So here's what Peter's saying out of even his own inner struggles that we read about in the book of Acts, reading about the church itself, kind of unveiling this idea. Oh, the gospel's for more than just people like us. It's for all nations and races and ethnicities. Here's what Peter's saying. So this Greek word, you could translate it two different ways. In a general sense, this idea of race could be translated into nation. So what Peter's saying to you is, and I is this, is even though we come from different nationalities, different colors of skin, different languages and cultures, even though the church comes from all corners of the earth, essentially we're one nation, right? We're one people, one nationality, one citizenship. We talked about that a little bit last week, right? One kingdom. But he's also saying something very specific because this Greek word could also be translated into the idea of a family, one family. And so what Peter is saying here is actually deeper than the fact that you and I are of one citizenship and one nation. He's actually saying we're of the same family. Now think about that. That's, that's why we say, we use the words brothers and sisters when we talk to one another. That's not just poetic talk. It's not just church talk. It literally means something. Like, ladies in Christ, you, you're my sister in Christ. I'm your brother in Christ, we're not just, not just one nation. We're one family together as God's people. So the first thing that Peter is saying to us as the church is reminding us of our identity. Listen, you're, you're one nation. You're one family, church. That's who you are. If you're a Christian, you have brothers and sisters who have different skin color than you. They've come from a different culture, who speak different languages, from different nations, all over the globe, you have brothers and sisters in Christ. One family, one chosen race. There are no racial boundaries. I wonder, I wonder about the resurrection. I, this is one of my great, great wonderings. Um, is will we still have our, our different skin tones and different pigments after the resurrection? Or will we be resurrected as just one color? Right? And then what color does God pick, right? I mean, there's kind of a dilemma there. Uh, I think that we'll be resurrected with our different pigments of skin because I think there's this, in, in this, this idea of the races coming together, there's this beautiful mosaic portrait of God's glory for all people. And so, right, and so I've already shared with you before, our youngest son wants to be resurrected as a black man. That's what he's asked me. Daddy, can I have a black body when I'm resurrected? And I don't know the answer to that. I think it's cool he wants to be. Right? Because Why? Because just the same way some of us have brown hair and blonde hair, there'd be different colors of skin, but one family, brothers and sisters in Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3. He describes it this way. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You could almost add a therefore right here, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And then look what he says. And if you are Christ's, then you are 
Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now think about that. What Paul is saying to you and I as Christians, it doesn't matter what your ethnical background is, if you're in Christ, you're an heir of Abraham and an heir of that promise. What, what did God promise Abraham? What does that have to do with my life? We looked at this last week in Genesis chapter 12, what God said to Abraham, listen, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and turn your family into a great nation. Is that where the promise stopped? What did he say? And through your, your family becoming a great nation, a chosen people, I'm going to bless all other nations. And you and I are heirs of that amazing promise in Christ. Well, the next thing that Peter says about us is a little bit baffling. He says that we are a royal priesthood. Now, let's start with the idea of royalty. These are two different ideas coming together, royalty and priesthood. Royalty is kind of a foreign concept to me. Okay, I, I don't come from a family of nobility and a lot of money. I come from a family of single mom. At the age of five, mom's going to work for the first time, trying to figure out how to support a family with two kids and put them through school and all that. That's, that was my upbringing. So the idea of coming from money is just something kind of foreign to me. Maybe you came from money and you understand that. But we're talking about more than just coming from money. We're, t- we're talking about being of noble birth, being connected to a royal family. And so what... Peter is saying to you and I that in Christ, we're actually royalty. Think about that. If God is our king, then ladies who are in Christ, you are princesses in God's kingdom. And men, you are princes in his kingdom. There are no peasants in God's kingdom. There's no middle class in God's kingdom. You're royalty. Let that sink in for a minute. Your royalty in God's kingdom. But he combines that with the idea of priestly, priestly, priest, priesthood, priestliness. I can't even say the word, much less think, imagine myself being it. What does that mean? What are you saying, Peter? Do I need to get a shirt with a collar? I need to walk around blessing people? What does that mean that I'm a priest and that you're a priest? Because it doesn't sound like he's talking about a separate group of Christians, an elite group of Christians, a first-class group of Christians. It sounds like he's talking to all of us. You're all royalty, and you're all priests. This should catch you off guard considering the week you just had. It does me. I don't even know what happened in your life, right? There may have been a few little highlight moments where if you were watching the video play out of my life, you're like, oh, Pastor Jason, he's such a priest. But the vast majority of the rest of my week, you're like, whoa, he... He was mean to his wife. You know, he yelled at his kids. He, right, you're going to see anything but priestliness coming out of my life. That's not just about me. He's singing about you too. You are royalty and you are priests. And so what in the world does Peter mean? Here's what he means. Through the whole experience in Acts, here's what Peter's learned. This isn't a story about him. It's a story about God. It's a story about God's Holy Spirit working in him and through him. And if God's the actual one ministering, he can minister through any of us. Keep in mind, this is Peter who denied Jesus three times at the cross. This is not Peter, the perfect priest. This is Peter who's clumsy, who gets it wrong, who's a coward sometimes. He's saying, listen, I've come to learn this about our identity in Christ. We are priests. Everybody is a priest in God's kingdom. Somebody God wants to work through to minister to others. You may be given a large platform like this. Your platform may be your cubicle. It may be your family dining table. It may be um, 
a little small table at Starbucks as you sit and speak to somebody who's got questions about the faith or struggling with their marriage or struggling with being a parent. In those moments, you are a priest. From here, he calls us a holy nation. We've already talked about the concept of being one nation, but this is a nation that's holy and set apart. You know what that means about you and I? That whatever junk happened in my week this last week, that doesn't define who I am. Something else gets to define who I am. Trust me, my rap sheet says anything but Jason is holy. But God's word's calling me holy, so what do I do with that? I have to go back to the cross and understand that what Jesus was doing on the cross was enough, not only to pay for my sins, but to make me holy. That should catch every person off guard, right? If you are in Christ, you're holy, set apart, part of God's family. You're a priest. You're royalty. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8 to describe all this. In Romans 8, Paul says in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. What Paul is sharing with us is the same thing he shared at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. If God's going to pour out his spirit on us, then we're all his children. And the, the evidence is what? God's spirit. If God's not showing partiality, right, then we're all adopted into his family. Look at what he says. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Why in the world would we call God that? Because we're part of his royal family. We've been adopted into the royal family. Like ladies in here, in this room, I want you to hear me. If you are in Christ, you're, you're God's daughter. That's who you are. Right? What this world thinks about your appearances has absolutely nothing to do with who you are. The world can take a hike. Right? Whether or not that man in your life shows you affection and is attracted to you and says nice things to you, that has nothing to do with who you are. Why? Because your daddy, your heavenly father says, you're mine, you're my daughter. Men, listen, your identity is not contingent on your performance at work and what your boss thinks of you. That's a fleeting target. It's a moving target. You might hit it some days and other days you're left wondering, right? Do I have any value here? They respect me. And God says, listen, your identity is not wrapped up in what your boss thinks about you. It's not wrapped up in what your wife thinks about you. It's, it's wrapped up in what your dad says about you. And God says, I'm your father. You're my son. You've been adopted into my family. You're royalty. You're a priest. You're part of my holy nation. That feels weird, God. I don't like to think of myself as holy. And God says to you, you're either mine or you're not. And if you're mine, you're holy. So it's only options here. We don't have a middle-class citizenship ranking for you. We don't have a place for the partially forgiven in Christ. It's all or nothing. You're either holy or you're not mine. And if you're mine, you're holy. Paul finishes by saying this, and this is again in Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then What? Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When was the last time you thought of yourself as an heir? Now, in my personal experience here on earth, I'm not sitting around waiting for a big inheritance for my family. That's not where I come from, right? Maybe you are expecting some, you know, there's this big inheritance that's lingering in the background, and as soon as that last person passes away, it's going to be yours. That's not, that's not my story here. But in Christ, we all have an inheritance. We're heirs. Think about that. You have an inheritance waiting for you. Ephesians 1 says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee until you receive that inheritance. In the meantime, you've got the Holy Spirit of God. You want to read about your inheritance? Go read Revelation 21 and 22. It's a glorious, beautiful, mind-blowing inheritance is right now waiting for you. Why? Because you're a co-heir with Christ. You're royalty. You're part of the royal family. You've been adopted. You're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. His last thing that Peter mentions is that we are God's own possession. This is an interesting one. I feel, I feel that, especially in the hearts of a lot of men, we can struggle with this one. We don't want to belong to anybody, do we? I'm my own man. I want to belong to anybody. But in Christ, we found something. We found that it's good to belong to God, to be his possession. Right? In Christ, we found, like Paul, that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was paying off a debt. He paid off our debt. To do what? To purchase us out of slavery, which means what? We belong to God. We've been bought with a price. We're no longer our own. Now, here's why I think Peter goes here to describe us. Here's why I'm belaboring the point this morning. I want you to hear me on this. I don't think that you and I have fully believed this yet. I'm not saying that you don't get it or understand it. I'm saying, I believe, that for most of us, if not all of us, we're still struggling to fully believe these words. Did you wake up this morning thanking God that you were a royal priest? I didn't either. Did you wake up this morning thanking God that you were chosen as part of his family, part of a holy nation, See, I think in each of our minds, we're, we struggle to wrap our hearts around this beautiful... Now, I'm not saying it's not true. It's true whether you believe it or not. But what we're, in Christ, what we're doing is every day we're believing it more and more. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Your struggle to share your faith with others is not... You don't need another to-do list. What you need is you need to believe what God said about you. Because when these truths sink in, they saturate into the way you see yourself in the mirror as part of God's chosen family, a holy, royal priesthood. When those truths sink into the depths of who you are, you can't help but do what? Peter said it. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And just to reiterate it, what does he say? Let me just remind you that once you weren't a people, that's an interesting thing to say. A people. What is he saying? He's saying before Christ, you were just people scattered all over the world, right? You weren't a people, but now you're what? Now you're a people. You're God's people. And he goes on to say what? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
That's the catalyst for all this. Without mercy, I got no shot at being a royal priest or being holy or being God's or being adopted. It is God's mercy that meets us where we are and adopts us into his family. Once you had not received mercy, but now in Christ you have received God's amazing, beautiful, glorious, never-ending, meet-you-every-morning mercy. This is who we are, church. And I think we're going to be honest with one another. We haven't fully believed this yet. It's true, but we haven't fully believed it. So today, as we think about what it means to be the Acts 29 church, we're not going to give you a to-do list. Yeah, we all want to be more bold in our faith, and we should. But that has to come out of a clear understanding of who we are first and whose we are. And from there will flow the proclamation of the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to ask for um, some volunteers. We're going to do open mic. It's a little risky. Um, it's not, this is not stand-up comedy. This is a chance for you to share um, one of two things. Something you've learned through the book of Acts or some way that God has challenged you personally through the book of Acts. And as we get ready to do that, I'm going to read a summary of the book of Acts just to get our minds and hearts thinking about it. And then we're going to, I'm going to have Nick with a microphone who's going to give a couple people a chance to share. Okay? Uh, let's, let's listen to this. This is the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of God's people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, launching the mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. As the church advances from Jerusalem to the nations... We see a powerful work of God in and through his church, defying all odds to grow beyond anything the disciples could have ever imagined. However, the ends of the earth were not completely achieved or reached in the book of Acts. Fortunately, the story of the church doesn't end with the book of Acts. The story of God's unstoppable church is still being written today. As Christians, our stories are the small stories that make up the bigger story of what God is doing on earth. As God works in and through our lives, the mission continues and the kingdom of God advances. I'm looking at Acts 29 right here. And the story's not done yet. Now I want to take a moment, if, if there's a couple of you who'd be so courageous and bold to share... Um, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Nick will bring you the microphone. You can say your name. And just, just briefly, something you've learned or a way that God has challenged you through the sermon series. Um, who would want to share? If you're a visitor here, everybody's freaked out because we don't ever do this. Okay, So everybody's a little nervous because we don't do this kind of thing here. Um, but I want to. I want to hear about how God speaks and works in your life. And so if there's somebody who would say, hey, I'll go first, just raise your hand and Nick will bring you the mic. And I haven't planted people in the audience, by the way, so we're waiting on you, if that's you. All right. We, we know you, but go ahead and say your name. You sure, stand my, up. My name is Jason, and um, through uh, this act study, uh, one of the sermons was on, you know, personal uh, preferences and convictions and then biblical convictions. So for me, you know, I've learned to hopefully and continue to grow in setting my personal preferences and convictions aside when I'm fellowshipping with others 
or meeting with others um, of different faiths, of different backgrounds, of different, you know, just, um, denominations, just to realize it's really about our biblical conviction as we grow together. Oh, that's good. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for that reminder. Yeah. One or two more? Oh, look at that. Zetas are in the house. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Sheila Zeta, um, and I'm excited to share with all of you. Um, I think it's easy to become um, discouraged um, when you look at everything that goes on in the world around us and to feel defeated um, by all the obstacles and um, devastation um, that we see around us. Um, but when God has called us to be a part of his family and when he's called us to be on mission um, together, we are unstoppable in him. And so I think that that's really encouraging um, and really exciting, something that I've learned through all of this. Awesome. Thank you, Sheila. You too. Eddie, thank you. Sorry, I just said your name. Tell us your name and then. My name is Eddie Schutzler. Sorry. And um, I've never felt comfortable lead in the leading position. I've always been happy to be in the background and just follow. And over this last year, I've been kind of prepped with Ken and others to help take over position. And I think that's part of it is hmm. not go where I'm comfortable, but to go where God wants me to go. And so we've taken over the uh, life group leadership. And I think with the continuing help as part of Ken and others, it's equipping me to continue that unstoppable church. So yeah. that's something that we've kind of stepped in together as being leaders of our life group, awesome. community group. So, Thanks, Eddie. Thank you. Good word. Yeah. Right over here. <laughs> Tell us your name. I'm Zach. Hi, guys. Hey, what's up, Scott? I miss you, brother. Um, I, uh, and I'm, I needed today mm. this message. I'm soft. <laughs> I'm going to sit down. Um, man, just a beautiful reminder of God's love. I'm the emotional one in this relationship. <laughs> um, and just lack, my lack in loving him and knowing who I am and how that plays in, you know, every aspect of my life. Yeah. Uh, today was good. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank God for, for this beautiful reminder. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for sharing. We, we know you, but would you say your name and then? I'm Susie. Um, I just appreciate the reminder, the teaching on persecution. When Paul was preaching, he was also persecuted. When God was working, there was tremendous persecution. And it reminds me of um, Henry Blackaby's study on experiencing God, that when God calls you to do something and you step out in faith and there's a crisis of belief and are we going to fall apart or are we going to press on? adjust our lives and um and that kind of makes me think of what we're going through as a church with the all-in you know we've committed we've stepped in we may be facing stuff in our personal lives maybe a crisis of belief is going on um but we see it all in god's word that is how he works and so that's just both encouraging to me challenging to me to know what to expect and keep trusting amen thank you for sharing
we know you, but say your name if you don't mind. So everybody can... My name is Mac. Um, you know, through the past few few years now, maybe a year, I've been coming in at Solid Rock, and you know, really through this last Acts episode that we were doing, uh, honestly, I was really in and out, and um, in and out just for reasons of being too busy with work or things are going all kind of different things are happening in life and you know you get to a point where you feel that you're too busy to come to church and that's where I was and I I didn't really want to say anything because I'm like man I haven't been here and I don't really know what's going on but you know you look back into the relationship with Christ that helped Paul prevail through all of these obstacles that he faced and you realize that he did that because he put all his focus in that love for Christ and what and that sacrifice that he did for you and me. And um, for me, what I learned through this is through those all those busyness that I go through, whether it's work or life or I can't get here and do this, is that I always need to stay focused on what's important. And that is moving with the church and this gospel. And when I'm on the road, to be able to push this and keep that as a main focus in my life. Amen. Thanks, Mac. Appreciate you sharing that. Hi, my name is Dylan. Um, I'm, I was part of the youth here, and uh, I just graduated high school. I'm actually going to college tomorrow, which I'm very happy for. But um, <laughs> what some? it's when... Paul, when he, when he walked into town and he started preaching and then they threw him out, stoned him, and threw him in the trash pile, yeah. that what really spoke to me is that he got back up and walked. He continued walking. And he walked right back into town and continued. That's something that I took the most from it is because what I like to live my life by is to never give up. Because if you give up, you lose everything. And you should always continue fighting for what you believe in. And what I believe in is God. So, if Paul can do it, why can't we? Amen. Thanks, Dylan. Good word. Had another one right down here. You're next. Tell us your name. We know who you are. Hi, my name is Christy. Um, I just wanted to share uh, the study of Acts really challenged me. Um, to live more boldly on the outside. Um, I feel like I have a lot of faith on the inside, a lot of love and adoration for the Lord, but sometimes um, timidity, uh, definitely doubt and unbelief, overpower, and that doesn't fully expose itself on the outside. So just a challenge to um, pray for people when I'm led to pray for them instead of saying, I'm, I'll pray for you. Actually stop in the moment and pray for them um, because so often we might have a good intention but life gets in the way and we forget. So stopping and really living that out. Prayer is powerful. Um, it's the greatest thing that we really have aside from what Christ did for us. So. Awesome. Thank you, Christy. Good reminder. Absolutely. Maybe do one or two more. Um, the ice has been broken, right? No need to be nervous. Anybody else want to share some way maybe that God has spoken to you or something he's taught you through the series? 
Tell us your name. Leanna Mulholland. Um, one of the things about the books of Acts that I find the church doesn't do, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. And he said we're sealed in it, and he lives in us. And we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And I love the scripture where he says, I use the foolish to confound the wise. And I think that's what the church felt in the yeah. book of Acts. Yeah. They were foolish to the world, and they were asked to do bold things. And when he says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, and I fail at this so much because he gave us the Holy Spirit, just like you said, to empty ourselves and to say, God, I can't do this. I don't know how. But you said that I can ask your Holy Spirit, which is you, and depend on you, that you're going to make a way that I can do this. And I fail so much depending on the Holy Spirit. I depend on me because our education and our way in America. But this is the beauty that we don't have to depend on us. And he's going to ask us to do foolish things and hard things. But through him, we can do all things through Christ Jesus. And I think that's the mission of what Paul did in the church. And I love it. Amen. Thank you. Good. One more? All right, we'll land it there. And thank you for everybody who shared. Um, I wanted to do that. One, I wanted to put into practice what we just said, that our, out of our overflow of what God has done in us, we proclaim the excellencies. That's what it looks like, what you just heard. Right? Sometimes it's through tears. Sometimes it's through humor. You're just sharing the excellencies of how good God is and what he's done in your life. Uh, the second thing is I want you to see that what we do up here and in God's word, it applies to every day stinking life, right? It applies as dads and husbands and moms and brothers and friends, and right? This is more than just theological head stuff. This is our, our guidance, our, our wisdom for every day life. And so thank you for those of you who shared. Um, going forward, our next sermon series, it's already built in. We've got a day of this. We're going to stop and do it again and just hear how God has worked in your life as you proclaim his excellencies. And so I want to end here by uh, letting you know a couple things. First of all, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and like I said earlier, and you're like, man, are they trying to talk me into this thing? What's going on here? Yes, we are. And not, and not for any other reason, but we've discovered something that we want you to discover. God is good. He's good. He is gracious. He is loving. He is kind. He's really good at taking messes that we're really good at making and turning them into something beautiful. And he wants to do that with your life today. And so as we wrap up, I want you to know that if you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, God wants you to hear something. There's not a big long to-do list. Okay, here it is. Believe in his son Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins. He resurrected from the grave to give you forgiveness and to adopt you into God's family and to guarantee an inheritance for you. Do you want to add anything to that? Believe that. It's not a matter of doing. It's a kingdom of believing and being. And in that moment you believe, God does everything else that needs to be done. And so if that's you, um, I'm going to ask our prayer partners to be at the back of our room um, as we sing this last song. 
Um, I'm going to ask our worship team, if you guys don't mind coming and coming back up. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to let God move however he wants to move this morning, and I hope you'll respond. Let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you for this beautiful reminder, and at the same time, um, this encouraging challenge from the book of Acts, that God, the story is not done yet, that you're still writing the book of Acts with our lives today. And so, Father, thank you for reminding us this morning that we are yours, we belong to you, we've been adopted into your family as sons and daughters. That God, because of what Jesus has done for us and in us, we are royal priests. We are holy and set apart. So God, now as we respond in worship and prayer, we pray that God, you would meet us where we are. You would do a work in our lives today for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name.